you've been looking for a podcast to help you transform your physical and mental one that'll shoot you straight between the eyes with truth and no bs helping you have the right mindset to accomplish things the iron will and fortitude to follow through with what you say you're going to do no excuses Mark owns martial arts schools, and after 30 years, he has some real insight for real talk, real life, real conversations, motivational, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, live from the Great 1-8. This is Real Talk with Mark Cox. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Mr. Cox here. Q&A number two. We've had some guests that were, um, people are asking a little bit, what about the Q&A? And I just thought that it would be a good thing for you guys to get to know me a little bit more. Excuse me while I kind of get things situated here. I apologize. Um, you know, to get a little bit more, uh, I've got some more text messages and stuff in from uh, from some students and stuff like that. And we can talk uh, on some more personal stuff today and what it looks like to live life with purpose and have a goal and how to succeed in a goal and stuff like that. So I'm hoping that um, we can, let me turn on here real too. If you guys got any kind of comments that are coming through, if you guys got any comments, uh, if you got any questions, go ahead and put them in the comments bar. Um, I do have my phone. If you guys have my personal cell phone number and you want to text me some, I've got some questions that we're going to go over a bit this morning and uh, talk a little bit about life. Life. It is. Can it be complicated? It can, but can it be awesome? Yes, it can. All right, so here's what we're going to talk about, guys. Uh, so I guess you guys know that, uh, you know, they were asking, first of all, I, I got some questions on why Why did I start podcasting? And, you know, as the years start taking by, you know, I started this a couple of years ago and I started it in the uh, in my garage and uh, just what I really did is to start it as a journey when I was first starting my uh, health journey, what that looked like, and then what it took off to from there. And as I continually grow, I get more and more uh, into uh, um, how to, uh, you know, how to how to do podcasts, how to make it a little more in- engaging. Uh, how to make it more exciting. And it, just like this is a learning process, guys, if you go back to number one and two and back on my uh, podcast, you'll see that, um, you know, being in front of a microphone, it's a, it can be a little bit daunting because you got, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, and when I go back and I listen to myself, which I do every podcast, I go back and I, I, I listen to the podcast. I try and see how many, mm and uh-huh and uh-uh, you know what I mean? How many times I say that. Uh, and I have make conscious decision, which I think is a great thing to talk about, right? I'm making these conscious decisions on trying to be more articulate in how you speak, 
how to, uh, you know, engage the audience a little bit more. And I have a coach, you know, uh, I have, you know, I question my coach quite often on, on podcasting on what this looks like and, and continually try and grow an audience And for you guys. So just so you guys know, if you guys can, this is how you guys can help me grow an audience. Okay. Uh, if there's things that in the, in the podcast that you, you think that you got something out of, okay. If you could just hit a share button and say, Hey, listen, this is my instructor, or this is, I've known Mr. Cox for a while, or maybe you don't know me at all. And I've got, uh, listeners, um, Matter of fact, I got listeners across the world. It's kind of when you go look at your analytics and you see that there's people in Japan, which my I, I believe that's my uh, drum instructor who's in Japan um, listening. And we got the Philippines and, uh, you know, I had somebody in, in I don't know, it was Africa or something. Just, you know, being able to be in front of a microphone and reach out to an audience is just pretty awesome to be to be uh, quite candid that that we have the ability to do that. So this, the reason I started podcasting guys really was first of all, to kind of uh, do my journey and have it, you know, where uh, I can go back and, and listen to what I, how I felt back in those days and what I was looking at in those days. And then believe it or not, is to be able to leave kind of a legacy for my children. Right. So you know, when I'm gone and they have something they can come back and they can look on and say, hey, this is how my dad felt back in these days. And, you know, my feelings may change uh, as as the years go, which which they do as you as you continually try and get older. You guys, you things that you thought were super important are just not as important anymore. It's it's, you know, the business of life and and then all of a sudden you you hear as a young man that man uh, you know the years go by so fast and then pretty soon you blink your eye and there you're you're there as one of the old men and you hear that and that's quite that's quite the truth to be honest with you so here's some questions i got uh this is that's one of the questions i have why why podcasting and and i did it just so that i can have some legacy i really really enjoy uh you know, the couple of things I like, I like storytelling. I like, uh, I like interviews. I like to get, have, I'm always amazed at when I interview people on just the diversity that we have, that people have is pretty awesome. And so I enjoy a lot about learning about what others past were and how that contributes to how they contribute to what they do in life. I just think it's it's just awesome to I always learn something kind of new, like I didn't know about that uh, in your life that you did that or or and that, you know, that's the that's the beauty of interviews. Right. And then you make it live and then it's it can get very engaging. And then you as you get engaging, you it goes off to another it branches off here and and then it, it kind of it comes back together. And let me tell you, I've done I've done quite a few of these now interviews and and standalone podcast. And I started out just doing, uh, you know, podcasting for uh, traditional where it's just talking. I didn't have video really involved. They'd come into the studio in my early ones. You guys can go back and look at uh, Lewis or Myron and, and all these guys, these guys came into my office and we were doing podcasting and it's all started way back in the pandemic earlier, a little bit before the pandemic, but 
through the pandemic, it, uh, it even, you know, I even escalated it even more. And then StreamYard comes around and we're able to do these podcasts. I mean, it, as much as tech can be a pain in the ass, but it also is awesome that we're able to, I, I mean, I'm having a, one of my black belts is a minister, you know, minister out in Papua New Guinea. And we're having a podcast while he's out in the jungle. I mean, think about that. I mean, that, that that's, this is, this is reaching across the ways and bringing us back in together. It's, it's pretty awesome to, to say the least. And this is what we get to do uh, on a daily. So that's the reason for the podcasting. And so I got some, I listen, so I got some personal questions today. I thought, um, I don't want to bring names up because, you know, when you bring names up, it, it could go south. But one of the questions posed was talking about divorce and co-parenting and and any advice that we have on that. This was a, a something that was came across text message today. And so here's what I can tell you, because I've done this already. I've I've gone through a divorce and. Uh, we, uh, in a 20 year marriage and then, uh, then filing for divorce and not to get into the nitty gritty, cause I'm not really here to, um, pound what, what happened in a person, in my personal relationship back then. But, uh, what is the after effects of, of divorce and lessons learned? Let's talk about the lessons learned and what I've, what I've, what I've learned from this. So I know that you guys that have gone through this kind of things, you, you're going to, you'll be shaking your head and you'll be like, yes, I know how that feels and, and stuff like that. Here's what I do know about divorce. Divorce is a nasty animal and, and it involves you. If you have kids, it's even more nasty, right? Because it really kind of boils down to money and using the kids to manipulate that to whichever whichever party needs to have it manipulated. And um, I think that I think that when you when you I can talk to you from a man's perspective, okay? Like from a man's perspective, right? So uh, I think sometimes you know divorces it. it there's so much anger involved in divorce, right? And there's and and the nastiness that goes on because the person you're divorcing probably knows everything about you and everything that kind of triggers you and everything that me is important to you and everything that's not important to you. And then it's kind of manipulated against you in a way that, uh, you know, it, it makes you feel pissed off, you know, sad, angry. Uh, these are all the all the emotions that we go through when we're going through this, this, uh, garbage. And so one thing, if there's anything that I can do after, cause I've been, I've been divorced for a minute now and my children are, are grown young adults. And so I'm in a different place, uh, than I was when it, when it was all fresh and, and the circumstances surrounding it, and how upset you are. And then as a guy, you know, we feel like there's a failure that has occurred. And so when you feel like uh, that you failed, you also, you just, you have another wave of emotions of, you know, uh, you know, I, I stuck this thing out and I failed. 
and uh, and then that all those emotions go down on you, and then you got your children that you're trying to, and you're separated and from when you're going to spending the night with them every night until what you what divorce ends up being right now. Uh, not to knock any of my uh my past or the my ex or anything like that, but just to know that I was able to um have the kids probably ninety percent of the time. Okay. She was, uh, she knew that they were more stable with me that way. And so I was one of those single dads that was got to be involved in my children's life. And I got to go to the schools and uh, go on field trips. And I had this martial arts school, which allowed all that to happen, which was great. Just, uh, you know, you know, I, and I miss some of that, right. Especially in these times, right. In October we would go and, uh, I'd go watch them in their little costume, thing and we would get pictures of that and then you know the thanksgiving break and then it's christmas time and you're going to go see christmas pageants and you and you miss all that uh, but i was able to i was still able to uh, enjoy it now as far as co-parenting and and uh, those are the questions i have and i can just give you some life experience guys okay i'm not i'm not a doctor by any means but i'm not a uh a psychologist or anything like that, but I am a realist for sure. And I can only give you uh, advice out of me personally. I, I took, and this, this, let, let me just be clear. This didn't come overnight. Just so you know, this was years of aggravation of anger and everything else that goes with it. Uh, trying to get back at somebody and stuff like that. When I learned just to be quiet in the moment and not um, whether you're getting text messages that getting you all fired up and stuff like that, as opposed to reacting, I just let it go. And uh, when there was not as much anger, then I would try at that time and have a better conversation of what it is we had to do. And this has taken a long time. I just I just came to a point uh, that I would not respond to any uh, text messages of anger or voicemails. I just wouldn't respond to them. And when you don't respond, uh, and you don't get a rise out of the other person, because I, I really feel, if you want to be real, that what we're trying to do is get our point across, and we're pissed off at the other person, and so, you know, there's always a little bit of hurt and there's always a little bit of dig in there. And uh, let me get uh, their dander all up today. And I've just tried to learn to be quiet in the moment because here's one thing I can tell you guys. And this is true, not just for divorce, guys, but this is just true as real as real can be. And I fail at this just so you know, on a daily there is you cannot there's nothing you can do to make somebody else do what you want. The only thing you have control of, ladies and gentlemen, is how your emotions and how you're going to react to emotions being thrown at you. That's all you can do. You're not going to be able to control them. If, if you want to try and get, I mean, it's almost like Facebook, right? We're trying to get our point across on Facebook and what happens. We, uh, we quit back and forth on Facebook like the other person on the other line is just going to be automatically uh, on my side because I've thrown some facts out there. But the facts that I throw aren't the facts that they really care about. 
So we we argue back and forth on Facebook for what? For nothing. So our points aren't getting across that way. The only way points get across, guys, is through relationships, I, I feel, right? You, so you have to be able to have a relationship of, uh, you know, if you, if I want your, how am I trying to say this? Cause I don't want any dead air, but, uh, if I'm trying to get my point across and we are going to argue over Facebook, we get nastier and nastier because we're behind a keyboard and we can kind of say things and, and stuff like that stuff that we would never say when we're sitting, having a cup of coffee together. Cause it's just rude, you know? And we're so passionate about what we feel or we're so passionate about what we believe that we be, it becomes rude on Facebook when we're sitting down having coffee and we can. And that doesn't mean there isn't arguments, but at least we can be human to each other. You know, I don't know if you agree, but these computers has taken humanity out of the equation and we just got our fingertips going and our mind is 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 reckless. And then we say something. And then what do we do, guys, as people from this? Right. We're going to get a negative comment or we're going to get some troll and then it's going to invade our head for the entire day. Right. I can't believe so-and-so said that. I can't believe so-and-so said that. And it could not even be affecting them for the day at all, to be honest with you. So I think that when you when as far as divorce and co-parenting goes, I think being a matter of fact and. And and then hard to say, easier said than done is to have uh, some sort of understanding where the other person is. Okay, when things are fresh in divorce, there's so much anger, it's not even funny. But as time goes on, you really, really crave just peace. And. If the other person isn't giving peace, then you got to give peace in order to get peace. You understand what I'm trying to say there? You've got to not react. You've got to let things go. You've got to. I can tell you this as your kids get older and mine are all older now and we talk as adults. How they feel and what they feel back then is is I shake my head sometimes and go, man, what was I doing? Why did I even do that? You know. Because they really see a lot of things that go on. They really understand the dynamics of what's going on. It's not like they're not in the loop. They're right in the middle of it. So if there's anything I can tell you guys, I mean, I can go on this subject for a long time. Uh, Don't be reactive to things. Take a minute. Um, I've done this several times where I've gotten, even on Facebook, I talk about not doing it. And here I am, you know, there's days that I see something I'm writing and I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm going to retaliate. I read it back. I read it back. And then bang, I hit delete. It's almost like weird, right? It's almost like I, okay, I, I, I vented, but I didn't send it, but at least I got it out and I wrote it out and that's how I feel. And I, and I hit delete instead of send. And it's like, okay, I feel better. At least I got my point across and I didn't do something stupid where it escalates to a whole new level, okay, and ruin relationships. Uh, Listen, I was really bad at this, just so you guys know, way, way back, back in 2012 or whatever, posting stuff and being super political and all that kind of stuff. It it just didn't go well 
Uh, it doesn't mean that you, you know. It doesn't mean that you want to hide your views or whatever you you have if you're on an open thing and you want to talk about uh, your candidate that you like for president. You should be able to voice that, okay? Um, and but it's for real, right? When we start looking at what other people do, we almost take our relationship for granted. Going, well, I can't believe so and so did what, and we take granted the relationships we have with somebody and instead of just turning it off mentally and enjoy the relationship we get into all this nastiness that really at the end of the day doesn't really matter because regardless of what president is in right now when push comes to shove we have to be there for each other we got to be able to um you know locally uh, help each other out and you know, bring each other up when, when the, when the going is tough and when economies is doing what it's doing now, we have to be able to be there for each other and, uh, and make sure that we have our best foot forward. So I get, I guess that's the kind of the best, the best things I can, I can give for you. Just remember one thing you can't, you can only be responsible for your reactions and what you do. You can't be responsible for others and what they do. And to, to put it simply, and maybe if that helps out, great. You know, if you can hear it from me and because sometimes we will talk. Is this not true? Right. The closest people to us sometimes are the hardest people to talk to. They're always there for us. Family is the most important. Right. They're always there for us, but they don't always tell us what we really want to hear. And we're not really receiving what they're saying because we don't want to hear it. And so. Uh, maybe a third party. That's why it's always kind of good. And you can kind of hear from me and maybe some of my experiences in, in, in life, because, uh, you, you know, it was devastating for, for sure. Uh, the, some of the stuff that I had to go through was, um, life altering for sure. And changed my mindset a lot, but, um, let me tell you what, let me, let me give you some positives out of the divorce. It made me become such a better father that I couldn't imagine not not going through that. Okay, uh, being a single dad made me just a better man, and so that's I think that's the most positive thing that happened out of it. So, hopefully, that helps out. Uh, if that gives you any any kind of indications of as far as co-parenting goes, listen, that's all it all co-parenting is what it's about relationships. you got to have a really good relationship or 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 and, and with the kid's best interest. And that takes time. Just so you know, this isn't going to happen overnight. If it does happen overnight, it's a blessing. All right. When there's going to come a point where the kids are more important than your feelings. And that's when co-parenting can can happen. Not easy. I, trust me when I say not easy, but that's the best, best advice that I can give as far as that goes. So, all right. So I got some other questions on, um, uh, what it looks like, uh, what, you know, the, my martial arts school, uh, as far as why it started or how it started or, I know you guys have heard the story many times. Maybe you guys are t- listening to this for the first time. You really don't know how Chatsworth Karate started. Uh, if you're at Black Belt Testing, you've heard this story many, many times. I've told you exactly how this all goes. Listen, I was not, I did not do school. I did not like school. Uh, all of my children have more degrees than I do and than I ever have. I, I went to Pierce College just like, uh, 
you know, everybody did. I got very close to an AA degree. I just, this school just wasn't for me. Uh, I just wasn't, I, I don't know. I don't know if I wasn't cut out for it or whatever. I was more of an entrepreneur and that's what I enjoyed doing. Anytime I worked for a company, I always had something else on the side that I did. And then uh, if you guys don't know my background a little bit, my my grandfather, Bryce, was a, a machinist. My father is a machinist. And they are both, my dad uh, is just, my dad's mechanically, is so such mechanically inclined. He was an awesome machinist in mine, and so was my uh, grandfather. And so naturally, that's what I started in. And I was in, in a machine shop and grinding parts, and that's working with super fine tolerances and and uh, building things and working on, on CNCs, which is a computer, uh, you know, that you go program stuff and and it makes it on a machine and and all the stuff that goes with machining. And I, it's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it just, once again, it was, if you guys know me at all, I'm super competitive uh, in whatever I do. And uh, I was very good at uh, being a machinist that was production. So I'd always be getting there in the morning. I'd try, always outdo myself. Okay, how much did I do yesterday? How do I make shortcuts but not not sacrifice uh, quality? How can I get more parts out today? It wasn't really me being uh, uh, competitive with other people. It's just me. It's just competitive for me. I was just, that's just how I'm built. And so uh, I remember, you know, this is, I, I guess back in 1985 or so, I was in a ma machine shop there in Northridge and I was in martial arts at the time. I used to go at lunchtime and take class when I could. And there was railroad tracks right behind where I worked. And I would, uh, I'm getting ready for black belt testing and stuff like that. And I would, I would go at lunch hour and either run the, run the tracks. Um, you know, this is when I had better knees, but I would run the tracks and, and get ready for, um, class at night and stuff like that. This is what I was doing. And I had this machine and I had two machines. I was running two of them. One was on the right. One was on the left. One, one machine I would get ready and it would be drilling holes and doing that kind of thing. The other one would be uh, doing the next part of it. And I would just run both machines. You know, I, I'd run them both. It was just competitive and there was still downtime, but you know, in between you'd be putting what's called threads in, in, um, in, a, in a part and stuff like that. And, you're making these, I'm making these hydraulic, uh, parts for hydraulic motors. That's what I was doing at the time. And so I used to have this, uh, vision on my, I'd had this, this three month calendar every time it was red belt testing. And I would have a three month calendar on my machine. I taped it up there. I'd mark it off every day when I'm getting ready, when my black belt testing day is and what my goals were. And I remember at that time going, you know, this is something I think I want to do. Now, here's here's a bit of information you may not know, but my Simi Valley location um, is actually where I started teaching martial artists martial arts as a red belt. There's a dance studio in the corner. So if you go to my location, 4361 Township is the Simi Valley location. And I've got two of the bays there. But the one on the way left is a dance studio. It's a corner one. And believe it or not, Gary Ruskin, that was Gary Ruskin's Tongsudo school back in the day. And I was a red belt back then. Brian Nan was there with me also. 
And as a red belt, I was teaching class and helping Gary Ruskin with that studio. So it's kind of ironic that two doors down, I have uh, a Krav Maga school uh, run by Jay Walker over there uh, in Simi Valley. And it's just when you when I look back at that and go, wow, in 1985, I was actually teaching class in that corner building. It was a martial arts school. And we fast forward to where we're at now. And I have a school there. I've had one there five or six years now. And it's just, it's remarkable when you think about about it. But on my machine, I used to have this goal. And even back then, I wished uh, we didn't have cell phones like we do now. But I wish I had a picture of it where I would say, you know, goals, you know, black belt, uh, goals, third degree black belt in you know, master's rank wasn't even hardly talked about. It wasn't even uh, uh, it wasn't even a topic of discussion back then. But second and third degrees were held in high esteem, high regard. And so I had this goal and then I had a goal of 100 black belts underneath me. That was my goal. And lo and behold, I got laid off from that job, just so you know. And then I ended up being a pool man, and that's what I did. So I, once I was uh, out there doing pool work, um, which I enjoyed, a great summer job, and jumping in everybody's pool and uh, cleaning pools and stuff like that, I enjoyed that. And the winter really sucked with the wind here in California. Uh, that job was not fun in the winter time, but it is what it is, and it's what allowed me to open up uh, Chatsworth Karate. I was doing 1987. I was getting, when I got my black belt, we were doing uh, work up there in um, the church at Rocky Peak. I started as a ministry, and and then all of a sudden it 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 blossomed where I told Mr. Knight I'd like to have my own school. I found a location. I found a corner location. Now, here's the story. I'm not sure if you know how I came about with this, but I didn't have a lot of money back then. But this place had been open for going on 10 years, no one's ever leased it. It's in the corner of, of Lassen and DeSoto. And it's, uh, it's been, and so I called this agent and I had some people trying to help me negotiate, but this guy wouldn't give me the time of day. You know, he goes, well, you don't have any money and stuff like that. And I said, but I have enough students that will cover rent and, uh, that would follow me. And he didn't really want to give me the time of day. So what I did is, I said, okay, well, if that's how it's going to be, then uh, I need to figure something else out. And I was, I had a student that owned apartment buildings and stuff like that. And he's the one that said, hey, we can run a property profile on this thing and find out who the owner is, which I didn't know anything about back then. But he's the one that helped me with that. And we ran a, prof, uh, we run a property profile on this. And then guess what happens? Here we go with, um, we see that a dentist owns this in Reseda. And so I made my appointment to get my teeth cleaned. And when I sat in his chair, I said, I'm not here for a cleaning. I'm here because I can't get the releasing agent to let me talk to you. So I, 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 I decided to seek you out and ask you if it's, a, if it's possible that I, I lease this building and this is what I have. And he was just taken back at the time going, you were very resourceful and stuff like that. And he said, listen, Mark, I'm going to give you a 12-month lease. Flat rate. This is what it's going to be. If you can make this happen in 12 months, then we will extend it from there. 
And this is the and this gentleman's one that gave me a start. And then this is how I came about. And this is how Chats with Karate was uh, formed. And lo and behold, back here now, and I'm in the 700s now as far as black belts go on how many I've given out. And so that's just uh, a brief history. You know, I had a quick question on how I came about. So I wanted to make sure that you guys uh, knew that, um, you know, you guys have heard this story 10 million times probably at black belt testings. I, I, I say it quite often. And... I cannot tell you guys. So tell me, you know, let's let's talk about some let's let's get to some of the reality of what opening up and being an entrepreneur. Now, listen, my folks are an entrepreneurs. They always have been. My dad had his own machine shop. My mom had a consignment store that she made work and they sold that business. Uh, you know, they my my folks have owned a couple machine shops, as a matter of fact, and They've always just been kind of an entrepreneur spirit. My dad was even a painter back in the day when he was painting apartments. I remember doing that as a child. Uh, even myself as a child, I had my parents gave me work ethic. You know, I, I may not have done the college route, but my work ethic was was uh, impeccable because even at seven years old, I go back. I was on a street called Lameda Street in Encino. That's where we lived. I remember this house so well. It had a huge tree in the backyard, and we would climb that tree all the way to the top. And but I was, I had um, lawns to be done all the way down the block. So I'd have certain days that I would go mow everybody's lawn, and uh, then across the street on Lameda Street, I would mow all their lawns, and I was kind of making money doing that, and. So every week I had a little bit of cash in my, uh, you know, however it was back then. I mean, you know, maybe I'm getting $5 or something like that back in the day to do some mowing. And I would, you know, my parent, my dad would make sure I had the mower and it was running and he'd buy the gas for me. And in a, in a way I would go and I would mow these lawns as a young man, as a young kid. And, you know, we're talking about, I don't know, eight years old, maybe nine years old. And, um, going down and mowing these lawns. And it wasn't like what we have today, these big blowers. I mean, this is old school, right? You mow the yard, uh, you have an edger, and you have a broom and a dustpan, and then that's what you did. And and we had next door to us was a, a, an older couple. I would take their trash cans out for them and and just do stuff like that. It just, I was instilled with a, a, a solid work environment. And I just always liked being able to be kind of my own guy. And then always, always, I liked working like that because I'd have my own money. And that just kind of spilled onto me when I was about 15 years old. I was just telling the story the other day on, uh, I started working between 14 and 15 years old. I was at the Leeds um, shoe store, believe it or not, when I was 15 years old and I was stocking shelves in the back and stocking shoe shelves. And then there was a Lindbergh Nutrition also in the, um, in the mall, in the Topanga mall at the time. So that's where I'm working right at, at, at Topanga mall and, and, um, in two jobs. And so Lindbergh nutrition, I'd go and wash dishes at the end of the night. So I'd have a job there. That's what I did. And believe it or not, uh, I was like Bundy and I was ended up selling, uh, shoes, shoes. As a matter of fact, when I was, I don't know, 16, 17, in that area, I was a. I became as I went from the stocks, the stocking shelves, to being on the sales floor, uh, selling shoes. And my mom worked for that for that company also. 
and um, that's just what I did. I, I've I've had this kind of work ethic for a long time, being able to kind of get my own stuff. And this is this is some reality, guys. This is some real talk about um how my parents raised me. You know, I remember my I want to say it's my 17th birthday, and my parents get me a car. But this is what they did. This is this is what they did, and it was pretty awesome. I remember this. And um, in the envelope, there was a set of car keys. And the car was, I believe, a 69 VW Bug. That's what, I, that's what my folks bought me. And inside there was a keys. And what my folks did is put the down payment down and made the first payment, gave me the keys, and I was responsible then for insurance and the car payments afterwards. I remember the car payment being like $69 a month. I don't know why that sticks in my head. It just does. And so I had my own car at 17 as a gift from my folks, but I'm the one that had to pay for it. And then even when I turned 18, you know, my folks, I wasn't going the college route, right? And I wasn't being quite um, as productive as I probably should have. I was working probably a graveyard shift, I believe, in a in a machine shop somewhere. And my folks said, hey, if you're not going to go to school, you know, it's time for you to get on your own. And on my 18th birthday, what they did is they got me apartment on Reseda Boulevard in Reseda, right across the street from Reseda Park, where they feed the ducks. It was a junior one-bedroom apartment. My folks paid for the first and last month rent, handed me my keys on my 18th birthday, and said, you're on, you know, this is your gift. And and that was a great gift. It just forced me to be the man that I needed to be. Um and be self-reliant and self-sufficient and not rely on, on, on all that. And that this is, this is just how, this is how I grew up. This is, this is my backing. So if you guys, you, you know, when you look back, what, what martial arts, I didn't have martial arts back then, just so you know, I was 18 years old. I didn't start until I was around 21. It wasn't until my brother was going to high school that he started doing martial arts and I'm the one that came in underneath him after that and said, okay, wow, that was, um, that was something I wanted to do with him. You guys have heard the story on how I got started in martial arts, but, and then it just took off from there. And I just knew that I wanted to own a school and that's what I really wanted to do. And I wanted to change people's lives. And because the martial arts had changed my lives, had I not had it, even though I had great work ethic and everything, guys, I didn't really have direction, just so you know. I wasn't directed. I didn't have that mentor. I didn't have that coach. I had my dad. My fa- my pops is awesome, right? You know, And I watched my dad for many years on how he dealt with people and how he did things, but I didn't have that drive. I didn't have that, that coach. Um, I really don't know what I would have had if I had a better coach anyway with sports. You know, I played all the sports in junior high school. In junior high school, I was a president of student council in my Back when I went to junior high, I was in a private school called St. Paul's in North Hollywood, and then I I was the president of student council in my ninth grade year. So back then, you know, you had elementary school, and junior high was 7th, 8th, and ninth. It wasn't like it is today. You go to school, high school, 10th, 11th, 12th. And so these are some – so you can get some background on me on, on, on why martial arts is so important to me uh, – you know, when I was there, I played a lot of sports. 
I did uh, all sports, all of them. And I did the student council. I, I became president of the student council in, in my final year there. Uh, got a most improved student, I think, in 1977, if I remember right. You know, I'm trying to remember some of these awards. Believe it or not, my junior high days were much more. I have friendships from those days today. I don't have any friendships from high school. And I don't know why that is. I just didn't have the best of times in high school. I went from a very private school of three, you know, very, very little children to Dracita High School where there was tons of people. And I just didn't make great decisions in, the, in those times. I just didn't make good decisions. And so, you know, you, I get to this martial arts and this is something that I, that I love. And I thought in my head, um, back you know, a lot of things happened to me um, back then. Um, it was November 16th, 1977. This is kind of a life-changing day for me. I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm sitting at Reseda High School, and uh, and I'm kind of new at this school, but I wasn't on the varsity team. I was on the JV team with Coach Ray. But I had taken a, a spot on the defensive side of one of the one of the main guys, right? And so with it, what happened is, you know, his name is Carlos, and I'm sitting on the bench, and he walks by, and he's kind of looking at me, and I'm looking back at him, and he goes, "You took my, you took my spot," and I didn't really say anything. He walked past me, turned, and hit me right square in the jaw and broke my jaw in two places. If you ever look at my inside here, you'll see all the, from what the wires. November 16th, I'll never forget this day, 1977. He hits me. My jaw breaks here and here. So I had a broken jaw from his hit. And I, I remember something wasn't right. I didn't get knocked out, but something wasn't right. I went to my coach and I said, Coach, hey, man. Uh, and he, you can see by his eyes then, and then I had emergency oral surgery. And when your jaws broke like that, back in that day, they wired me shut. So if you, I had wires, I couldn't open my jaw. I was like this forever. My teeth are clenched. If you can't see it on video. Right. So you imagine being like this talking, having to eat through a straw, having to sneeze, having to yawn. That's how it was for me for almost six weeks right through Thanksgiving and Christmas. And my mom's trying to make it so, um, I, you know, I can have a Thanksgiving. And, and so she would put stuff in a blender and see if I could eat it back then. And, you know, that was, I remember that going, wow, I didn't defend myself. I couldn't do anything. I was actually a tough guy because I played football and I did all that stuff. But being kind of bullied, I was kind of a tough dude. And then martial arts came around. And I just thought, hey, you know what? This is just going to make me be a little bit better because I'm not going to, that's not going to happen to me again. And that's what happened to me in high school. And then I ended up in a continuation through Reseda High School. Believe it or not, I was in continuation school. But there is, once again, I super excelled there. I was on my own. I get to work at my own pace. And when I get to work at my own pace, I didn't have somebody putting a thumbnail on me. I was able to excel in that and ended up uh, graduating relatively quick and being able to go off to Pierce College, which, once again, um, uh, I didn't, I didn't really go, I didn't really go too much into college either. 
So that's kind of Mr. Cox's background, just so you guys know. But work ethic was really important for me and stuff like that. So we got Patrick here. Let me see his question he's got for me here. Let's just say hello, sir. Martial arts has changed so much since the 80s and 90s, especially with the UFC coming around. Do you miss anything about martial arts from before MMA became so popular and changed the landscape? Hmm. Uh, that's a good question. That's a good question, Patrick, about about that. You're correct. The martial arts has changed since the 80s and 90s. It was, you know, back in the 80s when I trained, uh, you know, you just didn't know if. What you didn't know. You know, you had your school and that's what that's what you kind of did. Right. And when I got my black belt in 1987, I remember that day. I mean, it was pretty no nonsense. I mean, it was a panel of people that you've never worked out with. And so a lot of black belts back in then, back in the day, they'd come in and and test your fate, but not have any part of your growth. So, you know, it was a power struggle a lot of times. You had some really great black belts. So don't get me wrong. There are some really guys that you know, are sharpening the sword and, and voting for you and rooting for you and, and getting you to uh, David Starachi and uh, uh, Ken Knight and these type of men that were there, um, uh, you know, sharpening the sword uh, for you. But a lot of times, you know, when you get to testings back in those days, I mean, you missed a key eye in a form, you just failed your test. And lower ranking testings would be up by yourself. I mean, you guys can go on my Venmo and see when I was a green belt, I've got my green belt test and stuff up there. What it looked like doing attacking combinations, doing uh, kicking combinations and, and what, what is, what has changed? Do I miss anything about martial arts before MMA? What I, I got to tell you, Patrick, the answer to that, what I miss the most is respect. Okay. I mean, it was, being respectful in the studio was just something that that I do miss. But here's what I don't miss. The impracticality of self-defense. Even in doing karate and uh, back in the day, doing Tongsudo back in the day, uh, uh, and, and wondering, why are we doing this? What is this for? And not really having... An explanation. You do what you do because you do. You fight. If you're going to be a fighter, man, you came to fight class on Friday nights. And if you got your ass kicked and you came back, you got better. That's your training. It wasn't like we we had intro to fighting or anything like that. And so uh, after, you know, once you, I, I just remember that. Which is such a waste, man. Right? But we were super tough. I mean, the guys that were fought back in the day were tough dudes. And that's just how that's just how it was. And I remember going through this stuff and asking Mr. I, and I remember vividly, I mean, Brian Nan and I, we we would I don't know, we got really into watching judo and you know, George Kirby. I took a few classes there. Brian took even a little bit more. And I said, this is stuff that we need. And the, the, the biggest eye opening for me, Patrick, was when we did um, uh, an ATSDA up at the church. I mean, it was packed from all the different schools, all the uh, everybody there. And we were supposed to have Jean-Jacques Machado come and do the second part. And that's who we had there to do it. 
and David Myers came and he was a brown belt at the time. I'll never, ever, ever forget this. And I was kind of the pit bull back then. So that was my reputation. I was kind of the pit bull, the studios and, and, uh, you know, I wasn't the only, you know, most awesome fighter, but I was just one of those pit bulls there. And Mr. Hitchcock's pit bulls. And, we he's coming to do this ground fighting. John Jock can't make it that day. He sends David Myers. David Myers is a, is a, is a brown belt, you know. Uh, and 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 here's the thing about David Myers, right? He's a vegetarian, uh, super thin, and so he's doing this, and we're watching this, and so he rolled with every single one of us, and I watch him tap people out like they are nothing. We have no clue what we're doing on the ground back in those days. Zero, none, nada. And I know I'm thinking, man, you know, everybody's waiting, right? Everybody's waiting for him to get to Mr. Cox, right? And I'm just like, I knew in my head at that time, I'm like, this is not going to go well for me, okay? Uh, I'm going to get my ass tapped pretty, <laughs> pretty easily. And so, sure enough, Dave Myers comes around and it's like, here he comes. And Mark Cox up and everybody else, and I don't know. He probably armbarred me, choked me two or three times, and I'm just trying to be just so aggressive, right? And the more aggressive I became, the more loose he became and the more controlling of me he he came. And I remember him laying on top of me being, and I'm just thinking, this guy feels like he weighs a 1,000 pounds and just kind of sucking the wind right out of me. And I remember that day vividly because I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have to we're going to have to fix that. And then that's how Brazilian jiu-jitsu came around in my school. Cause we took, uh, and I'll tell you a funny story about this, but that's how, you know, we took privately from Dave Myers for a long, long time, Mr. Carlin, myself, Bo DeRocher. And that's what we did. We took in private lessons with him for years upon uh, years that we could. And then he moved to San Francisco and then, you know, that's how John, John will and stuff came to our school. And we continue with that. So, uh, but here's a funny story. I met John Jocks and, and Dave Myers says, hey, let's let's work out at John Jocks today. You guys come down to Tarzana and, and, and let's roll there. And I said, okay. So we had a private lesson in a private room. We're doing this. We had our uniforms on. I really wasn't wearing white belts then. We just kind of put our uniforms on. We did our thing. And I had our black belts on from the studio. And he goes, let's go in class and roll. I will never forget this, okay? Uh, uh, uh and so I decided that, you know what, let's, uh, let's go out to the mat and roll. I had a black belt on and I will never wear a black belt into a jujitsu unless I am one. I am not wearing that into a jujitsu. And we were spanked. We were, our asses were kicked. And I look at Dave Myers and he, with a smile and it's probably like, you freaking set us up for that, man. And uh, I'll never forget that day. We were just spanked, and it was so um, uh, just humbling, to say the least. So that was for sure what 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 happened uh, with with that's how that's how ground fighting came about. So do I really miss anything about it? No, I think MMA has what made everything else even better. It makes us better. The generations that I was back in those days. Um, you know, you guys are better. You're better than I was. Uh, even, even at where you're at now, your students are going to be better than you because you've got all this mass, vast, um, 
stuff that you get to get that you get to show your students and when you're still a kind of a young man right and and all the stuff that i got and i learned after first and second and third degree and all the stuff that i brought in and and stuff like that you guys get to get better and better at and it just and the generations are just going to become better and better and better and look at this guys and look or not right patrick we've got got little ones rolling at three years old do you have any idea that three-year-old is going to look like when he's around me like you were could you imagine if i had all that when i was picking you up from kindergarten and bringing you our first grade and bringing you to the studio and we had that kind of stuff what kind of animal you would have been even more than you are now with your brother and think about that you may have talked about it before uh already but i would also love some stories from tournaments competing whether yourself or students <laughs> all my lessons were learned in competition super humbling but you want to hear a funny one or you want to hear a serious one uh, you know i've told the serious one before there's even i have a podcast on ego i tell it in more in depth on that but it was probably my most life turning one. I'll never forget it. I'm in San Antonio, Texas. We are competing and breaking at that time. And I have got this place set up and I am ready to destroy all competition in front of me. I really wanted this bad. And at that time you get your picture taken. If you guys have ever seen it, I have, a, you know, back there in the NBLs and the, the SKAs, I've got those two plaques that are, I don't keep very many of my stuff, but I got those two plaques right before you enter the sales office on when I won those and, and I have jackets that I won as a champion. I guess I should put those in and, and hang them up at the studio, but I've got NBL jackets from when I won in tournaments. Uh, so I have an SKI that says SKI champion and it's a windbreaker. That's got a big champion thing. I, you know, I, I don't even wear these, you know, I haven't, I, you know, I, I haven't wore them. I, I think sometimes guys, I, I, I did competitions for myself. And I won a lot of competitions and I lost a lot of competitions. And I, I just think that after over the time, I just, I don't know if people really care about what I did back in the past. I mean, you, you call yourself an amateur champion at something, but um, I don't really know. You know what, what is, and when it all was said and done, that's something I did at those in the nineties that I really enjoyed. And, and I wanted that kind of stuff. And at that time I thought it was super important. It just doesn't seem to be as important to me. It is today, but the lessons learned from it, super important, super important. Um, you're bringing back memories in my head. So I'm trying to, to think about that. You know, I, I guess I should bring these jackets in. These are, I have a blue one that was when I was the SKI champion and I got an NBL jacket when I took, I don't know, first or first or second or third or something in the NBLs. And it, they kind of embroider that stuff on your jackets for you. I've got black belts that are hanging in my office that says NBL champion and stuff like that. They would give black belts out for that. I just, you know, guys, I just never wore that kind of stuff. It just wasn't, um, I just love to compete and the acclimates that came from it. I just don't know if people really care uh, about it, to be honest with you. But here's a story about my, uh, my world championship that I lost. And you've, I've, I've told you this story before and that uh, I, I'm going to give you a, a, a watered down version of it. Um, so here's the watered down version. I am in competition 
and I'm ready to go. I'm seated very high. I get to go towards the end, and I'm getting ready, and it looks like I'm going to break this building down, man. I've got so much stuff. I'm I'm breaking bricks with popsicle sticks in between them, which is super hard to do, the spacers. I've done, I got some set up where I'm doing five or six bricks with zero spacers, none. Just going to pile drive through those things, and this is what I'm getting ready to do. So once I do that, I... I'm set up and I'm getting ready. And then I see a competition and I see somebody coming in in a wheelchair and I'm like, oh man, you've got to be kidding me. And one of the hardest things in competition is going to compete against a disability. It's just hard. You have to be on your game. And because it's very hard to beat somebody that has those kind of odds. Right. And, and stuff like that. So he comes up, he's, he's before me. I, I remember this vividly in my head, just, just like it was yesterday. and. Uh, he gets up and he's like, okay, I'm getting ready to, uh, break and I'm watching him and he does. So you have to kick just so you know. So here's what he does. His legs don't really work, right? That's why he's in a wheelchair. So what he did is he stopped, he stacked up these tiles and he just lifted his leg and he dropped his leg on these tiles and it just broke these tiles. I mean, I was like, wow, what the heck? And um, and then he did this palm strike. But what he did is he lifted himself up off his chair. He pushed with his left hand to come up off the chair and then a palm strike coming down. And it was a pretty very impressive break. Right. I'm just like, man, I'm thinking in my head. I'm already doing head games in my head. Right. I just didn't just focus in on competition and just say, OK, you stay with your game plan. Have it this. I'm letting all this stuff get into my head. and. Then he missed a break. When you miss break in, in high competition like that, you've already lost. There is no coming back from it. So in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm going to smoke this guy. And so I get up and do my, my breaks. And I mean, you guys have seen highlight reels of it. I'm breaking right-handed, left-handed. I'm head-butting. Uh, I, I break st- double stacks, double stacks this way. Uh, five or six with zero spacers. I did 12 with the right, 12 with the left. And I mean, I was just, just rocking it. And it looked like an earthquake hit that place when I was done. And I got up there and I was like, sir, right? And I was just like ready to rock. And then they called off scores, right? And the score is I lose this competition by one hundredth of a point. So it's like they score right in the black belt divisions. Um, Nine point whatever to ten, and mine's like nine point nine or da da da, and his was nine point whatever da da, and he wins this competition. I was so upset. I was so mad about it. I told Bo, I said, "Clean this shit up," and I'm out. And I was just, I I stormed off. I didn't pay any respects to. Uh, the competitor, I didn't shake his hand. I didn't do anything. I left with such an ego in my head that I was like, uh, everybody can just F off. That's how I felt. I really did. And I was just totally mad. Just, just a jerk. Okay. Zero humility, zero integrity, zero courtesy, everything I preach, courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, and domino spirit down in the toilet. I didn't give a, didn't really care. Right. 
once I get past that, I remember going past a booth and they were taking pictures of you for that magazine that particular year. And I'm like, and I'm watching the guy that won take his picture and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden I hear him call my name, Mark, Mark. And he turns around, he's wheeling towards me and he has this board and I have this board and I, this is one of my most treasured things. And I, and I cannot find it. It used to be in a, and a trophy thing I have hanging on the wall, but I've, I've yet to find it. I know it's in a box somewhere, but he wrote me a note and he goes, I know you won that competition. And he put our scores on it and said, thank you so much to me. Do you know what a jerk I felt like at that, at that time? This guy had way more integrity than me, way more, uh, humility than me. And I, I, t- I remember taking the board going, man, you are a jackass. Okay. You are a real, you are a real gem, Mark. And, and I remember beating myself up for that only to make it worse when he comes out on the next day, they're doing some closing ceremonies. They highlight him, the breaker, he comes out and then he tells the story of how he was hit by a bus and the blood transfusion had an HIV in it and that he is probably not going to be here within a year. And then he's going to pass away. Uh, I just remember sinking down and going, I am the biggest freak. I mean, I was not meant to win that competition that year. That was his glory days, probably the last competition he did. And instead of me being there happy for him and high-fiving him and telling him you are the better man today like that, I left that competition pissed off, egotistical, like a jackass, and only to have that lesson slap right in my face. What kind of instructor am I that I'm not happy for him? Um, I should be like a poker face. When I win, I I, I win with uh, I'm the, I look like this when I win. I look like this when I lose. I congratulate those and I and I thank refs. How how do I not have that humility to do that? Why? Because I had a really shitty ego and it just did not, it did not fare well. Probably my biggest life lesson I ever had right there on what, how ego plays, uh, how ego played in, 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 uh, in that, um, you know, that was, uh, I mean, I had a lot of fun times guys. I, 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 I'll end with this story. This is a funny story. This is a funny story. (laughs) If you've been around me for a long time, there was, United States Karate League Association. Sensei Peoples had this to do. We were competing back in the 90s every weekend, and we would get points, and then we would have the big competition world championships at the end of the year. And I was going back and forth with this guy from uh, breaking-wise and self-defense-wise and stuff like that, and and I'm going back and forth, back and forth. I think I got this USKL belt in my closet, too, to be honest with you. I, I guess I should bring that stuff out. Maybe, maybe uh, maybe students would appreciate it. I don't know. Um, but I'm at the end of the year, I'm the top seed. We went back and forth on who's going to be the top seed. I'm the last one. I get to go last. And this is awesome. Back in those days, USKL had a magazine. I'm on the back cover of the magazine. I'm breaking like 10 bricks with an elbow. I'm in the back cover. Okay. And if Bo's around, Bo attests to you, man, because I was there that day. I was lighting bricks on fire. I'm getting ready to do this. And they did a lot of finesse breaking. That's where I got breaking with a shot glass and all that. I got that all from them. 
And but I would do finesse breaking and then I would do power breaking. And, you know, that's just what brings the crowd is power breaking, breaking stacks of stuff this high. I'm in this competition, USKL. Here we go. All right. We are getting ready to rock and roll. Mr. Cox is going last. And here comes my competition right before me. And I noticed on one of his bricks, he has this magazine that is uh, on top of a brick. And I'll never forget this. I'm like, what is he doing, man? And then, bang, he hits the music. And then his song every freaking weekend that we competed was, you guys remember this song, right? This is how we do it. Right? You know that song. Every time it comes on, it puts me right back into that into that era of, of this guy in the competition. So he puts on his music. This is how we do it. He's getting ready. He's got his last break. And he goes, judges, I'm going to break this stack of bricks with a magazine. And he rolls this magazine backwards so it's my face. And then he comes down on it. And, right, he's using me to break his last bricks on the cover of the magazine. Oh, my gosh. I was so fired up. I was so freaking pissed. And I was like, oh, I am going to smoke you even more than I was now. You are. This is my world championship. That's when I told Bo uh, the 12 or 10 or 11 or whatever it was. I said, break it down, put popsicle sticks in between it, get the kerosene out, light them on fire. And that's how I'm going to uh, break. And so I get to mine. And I remember this vividly. I get up there, boom, and I introduce myself, Mark Cox, my instructor is Dennis Ichikawa. Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you the same finesse breaks as my uh, partner over here, but I'm going to also show you what power looks like today. And, you know, I just kind of put in a bug in the, in the, in the ears of the, of the judges that, listen, what they just did ain't squat because they can only do this part of breaking. I'm going to show you what breaking looks like. And I did the same breaks he did. I did a shot glass break. I did a list of palm strike break that he used to do and all this kind of, I, I mimicked what he did, but then I came up and then we, I said, judges, you're going to notice that this last stack that I'm going to do, there's popsicle stick um, as far as spacers go. I'm going to break four with none and I'm going to break these on fire. And so they lit them on fire. I broke the four first and I looked him dead in the eyes and I said, this is how we do it. And I just boom. And I broke those things. And then I ended up winning that competition. I was the world champion on, on the USKL for that year. That's how I got that black belt in. He was so pissed off. Oh my goodness. I thought we were going to have a little fight in the, in the parking lot right there. And, uh, but he was super fun. But so those are two real memory uh, stuff. I've got a ton of stories I can tell you. And of um, and you guys, I don't know, Patrick, if you remember, I had a student that had he had prosthetics. He had a prosthetic arm and two prosthetic legs and he could kick with his prosthetic legs, man, you get hit by one of those wooden things, him flewing around from the knees down. And I don't know if you ever remember, he was in an ATSDA tournament. He's doing, he's doing, uh, um, he's doing, uh, <laughs> he's doing nunchucks and he's like, bap, 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 bap. and then he takes his arm off and he throws it. So people realize like, wait a minute, he only has one arm. 
and he's doing his nunchucks and he raised his leg up and he took the nunchuck and banged on both his legs to see that they were their prosthetics. And he did this jump turning heel kick in prosthetics to end his nunchuck form. And the crowd was just like, wow, unbelievable that he was uh, he was able to do that. He was such a cool dude. So those are some fun ones of students. I got a ton of those. We can talk about those in the future. But Ashley Sage, you think about competing in the future. You already know the answer to that, Ashley. This, uh, I've got a bug to compete in this jujitsu. At 60 years old, I'll be 61 in March. Um, I'm looking to see what it looks like to be uh, do this uh, uh, competition in jujitsu. After going to one, uh, I am definitely going to be uh, competing uh, next year. There's no doubt if, if I can find people in my division, uh, in the heavyweight division, that's my age, ready to rock and roll, or I'm going to have to go down to these young 50 year olds, I guess next, if that's what it's going to be. However, I got to do it. I'm going to try it out. I'm either going to get, I'm either going to win or I'm going to learn, or I'm going to choke the shit out of somebody if I can, that's for sure. Okay. We're already in this for an hour and seven minutes. I hope some of these stories you guys got is good for you. I've totally enjoyed uh, reliving that. I'm I'm telling you that talking about some of this stuff has put memories back in. And this is something for my kids, uh, you know, Michael or Gabe and Danny, Ariel, but, um, but even Bo, this will be a member. Um, uh, you guys can look back on this and see some of the stuff that what martial arts has done. Listen, I have learned a lot of lessons in martial arts and I continue learning them on a daily. Uh, uh, I would say leadership, uh, having, having ownership is going to be, uh, if any advice I can leave you with on this podcast is have some ownership in yourself, stop making excuses and start making waves. You know what I mean? Don't, you know, excuses are nothing but, uh, uh, fear in my book. You make an excuse not to do something because you're fear of what, what can, what can happen. I, I believe that a lot of people didn't compete this last night because they just have, I think there's a fear out there. There's a fear of loss and there's a fear of embarrassment. Hey, you know, I got to put myself out there. I'm going to, and you got to step on that line and you got to do that thing. And I remember stepping on those lines into my competition years and, and fighting in competition and breaking and doing self-defense and, and stepping out there and doing things that people are a little bit miffed to do. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to put yourself out there because, you're going to have to take loss. You know, there's you, you, there's no way that you become a champion and all you do is win. I, impossible. Okay. Impossible. And you're going to get, um, you're going, somebody on every given day is going to beat you at something. It just is what it is. And so you know, people get so bottled up in fear that they never experience anything. I've seen this even in the last little competition that we had here at the studio Students that are very good, but you know why they didn't compete? Because they don't want to lose. Really? Losing and my egos and all that kind of stuff are my most valuable lessons. It's not my wins. All my wins are hanging in my closet or they were in the basement of all my trophies or they're in this closet right now, this USKL belt that I had uh, won when I won world championships. All that kind of stuff is in the closet because I've really never felt if anybody really cared about it, to be honest with you. I cared about it. It meant a lot to me. But when you, but 
when it's all said and done, it's the lessons that come from it. So if you guys have fear, fear about starting class, fear about uh, starting uh, a regiment, fear about your health, fear about failure. I think that's why we don't start anything in life, right? Is just out of fear. We don't want to lose weight because we're fearful that we're going to fail. Instead of looking like, okay, I had a bad day. Let's get back on the horse and let's get up and, and, and get going, right? I don't want to start class until I'm in shape. What the what, what does that even mean? I, I don't want to start martial arts until I'm in shape. Use the martial arts to get your ass in shape, man. Step on the mat, okay? Be a warrior. Don't be a, a, a man or woman of excuses, man, all right? Take that first step. Get out there and make things happen. It doesn't have to be martial arts, guys. I don't really care what it is, man. Take, a, take that step. Don't go buy a membership to a gym and then never go and say, well, I'm a member at at Planet Fitness. But that's like here right now, right? I've got black belts here uh, that think that because they're a third or they, they've they they've done enough time, what enough time has come by, I'm, I'm getting ready to be a master. I'm getting ready to be this and that. And then they don't even do, they couldn't, do, they've not trained for two years, two, three years. Or you're a black belt that got your black belt back in the 90s and you think that you can automatically start teaching again because you got a black belt back in the 90s. Listen to me. If you are a doctor or you're a surgeon, right, and you become a surgeon and you decide that, hey, I'm going to go do politics, you know, and I'm going to be going that arena. And then you're in politics for 10 or 15 years, but you were a brain surgeon 15 years ago. Is that the doctor you want working on you? You think he's in the fight? You think he's in the in knows the newest technologies and newest things. What's worked all those 15 years of experience. He's been sitting in in doing politics or on the Senate. You see that kind of example? What's the same thing with a black belt, man? Are we just going to uh, think because we got a black belt that we're automatically there? It doesn't mean you didn't earn it. You've definitely earned it. Everything you get to put going down forward, I, I earned a, a black belt in this. I earned a black belt in that. And the lessons learned from learning the black belt. It goes without saying in, you know, courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control, and domino spirit, having perseverance, getting through me, all that valuable life lessons, that does not go away. But martial arts and fighting is a perishable skill. If you do not sharpen the sword, okay, and continue your training, and, and and stay in tune with the best things or the most cutting edge things that you can do and improve yourself on the daily. Are you really a well-oiled machine black belt? Okay. Do, is that the black belt you want on your side? Or do you want the aggressive hockey player that just came off a, a game and, and they're fighting on the ice? Which one do you want? The one that was a black belt 10 years ago, right? When they're 12 or 13, or do you want the young man that's on a, a hockey player that is nothing but natural aggression? Come on now. Or a military man or woman, right? So those are the things that I think about. These are some of the lessons I've learned as far as being a martial artist, guys. I, I hope that I've answered some stuff for it. Let's see what Viverka says. I'm going to kill him. Well, I'm going to try. I can tell you that for sure. I don't, I'm not going out to lose. But uh, I, I I never went out to the competitions to lose, but uh, I've I've done some mistakes and lost. I can do it. Uh, let's see, what's this one say? Always trying to not to be a kitty cat. Yeah, well, we know what that really means. If you know, you know. Think about it for a minute. Um, 
So I think that's uh, I think that I'm going to wrap this up, guys. Uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed my time. Enjoyed reminiscing a little bit. Uh, I will have people. I believe I have interviews coming up. Okay, listen, we got some awesome people coming up. Um, December the end of December, we got Jay Walker. Him and I are going to talk about 75 hard, and we're going to talk about this competition he's doing right now. He's in a bodies competition. It'll be done by the time he gets on. Robbie Edelman from Ventura is going to be on here right now uh, soon. I've got. I've got one guy, uh, a pastor from uh, church that's going to become, his name is Chris Trio. He's coming on. Now, listen, guys, this is a guy's story is going to be off the chain because he started with us in what we did called Fight Club and who who was who fought drug addiction, uh, drug dealing, all that, and now is a pastor. And a lot of that started in what was called Fight Club, which is, basically a Bible beatdown where we would talk about the word of God, pray for each other as men, and then beat the snot out of each other for a good hour. And uh, just so you know that we're bringing that back, it's going to be Tuesday nights at eight. That's going to be happening here uh, after the first of the year. Uh, It's an eight week thing that we do through the church. Looking forward to doing that again, but we've got some awesome, uh, I've got some other people kind of in the, in the ball pin right now that you guys are going to really get to enjoy. So I hope you have an awesome day, guys. I love you all. Peace out. You've been listening to real talk with Mark Cox, real life, real topics, real conversation. We're passionate about motivation, fitness, self-defense, weight loss, and coming at it from a real angle. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you had fun. We know we did. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on Instagram and Facebook at MarkCox100. Make sure to subscribe and review. And tell a friend or two about the show. For more, hit up the website at MarkCox.com. Till next time, keep it real.